If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I, I didn't know 10 years before she was holding my daughter as a baby that she had murdered somebody. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick, and I'm here with Alexis Linkletter, and we just had the worst technical difficulties that we've ever had in the history of our podcast. We've been doing this for almost four years. Like, how is this happening now? Honestly, um, I feel like it's just time to adapt. It's time to adapt. It's time to adapt, and that's what we're doing. We're doing new things. Um, uh, should we just jump into the day? I feel I think like so. I think we're going to jump into the small day. Small talk is not our thing right now. Small talk is not our thing right now. Okay, so it is July sixth, and this is really funny because we usually use Check I Day for all of our days, and I didn't realize that behind every day that they tell you, they give you a whole spiel and a whole history behind it. So I'm going to tell you a couple of our days that we have today. I can't wait to know more. So it's International Kissing Day. So Mm, with COVID, I'm not sure I'm behind it, but I'm open to it. Well, kiss maybe the person that you love. Like it's not kiss a stranger day. It's kiss kiss the the person that you feel comfortable kissing in your life. Fair. Fair. (laughs) It's also, and you're going to love this one, National Fried Chicken Day. Oh, God, I love a crispy meat. Like, I love a crispy chicken. I love a crispy faux chicken. I love fake nuggets. I like just crispy meat aspirational products. Any type of a chicken we're really into here on The First Degree. Totally. And the last one, well, there's two really weird ones. One is Take Your Webmaster to Lunch Day. Webmaster. And it started because it said, show your appreciation to your webmaster by taking him out for some good food. That way he, she, it will feel loved and have the energy to fix all the typos on your website. Webmaster. Yeah. Does anyone have a, I don't, we don't have a webmaster. I wish we did. That would make my life a lot easier. It would make our lives a lot easier, but those are the days. And I, I don't know how some of them come about, but I appreciate them all. Sure, but I do think that is enough of that. That is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. So have you ever met someone who everyone liked, somebody who always had a big smile on their face and someone who was nice to everyone in the room, someone who was generous, someone who was outgoing and personable, someone who everyone appeared to love and be obsessed with, everyone liked this person except for you. And you couldn't put your finger on why this person made you feel uncomfortable or why this person made you feel the way you felt. And you kind of felt crazy at times because no one else saw it. But then there was that moment down the line where your instincts were proven right. 
and that person revealed their true nature of their character. Today's episode will encourage all of you to hone in on those feelings and trust those instincts because they could save your life one day. So today's case takes us all the way back to 1999. It was a good year, to be honest. Britney Spears' Baby One More Time was the top song of the year. Ugh, take me back. Right? Another song that topped the charts was Eiffel 65's Blue, and I'm sure everybody remembers that one. It was a total classic. And one of the highest grossing movies of the year was Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. Also, The Sixth Sense was scaring the shit out of all of us in 1999 as well. I will never forget that movie. Ever. Ever. It was spooky. Terrifying. So the setting for today's case is the area of McHenry, Illinois. And McHenry is a city in McHenry County of Illinois. And it's a suburb of the Chicago metropolitan area located about 45 miles northwest of Chicago. And McHenry County was named for Major William McHenry, a prominent U.S. Army officer back in the Black Hawk War. Right. And our first degree for today's case... Her name is Cassandra, and I'm telling you, I had an incredible conversation and connected with Cassandra. Her experience is harrowing, and uh, she is born and raised in the McHenry, Illinois area, and she was there with her family, and she had a loving and supportive upbringing and loving and supportive parents, and we're going to now fast forward to 2007 when Cassandra was... 17 years old. And at this time, she met another teen who was named Tyler. And you know what happens? The two of them started dating and they fell in love. And you know the deal with young relationships? Everyone is still living at home with their families. So eventually, inherently, you go on to meet your partner's family, right? That's just part of it. And Tyler, he had a big family. He actually had a twin brother, and he had four other siblings. So there were six kids in total. And at the helm, this giant family was the matriarch, Tyler's mom, a woman named Linda LaRoche. And at the time, Linda was a nurse with her own practice that offered contract services to some correctional facilities in Illinois. And this business had been established in 1997 and was really, really lucrative. And beyond the financial benefits of owning her own company, due to the nature of her relationship with the Department of Corrections, her business enabled her to have connections with some really powerful, politically connected individuals. Cassandra recalls that you could tell this family really had money. They had this huge house. They had everything that they wanted, even a very unique and exotic pet. She seemed to have everything going for her. You know, she had a huge house. They had a monkey. That was, you know, awesome. But she seemed nice. So Linda was blonde. She was a church-going woman. And based on the photos she posted on Facebook, she wore many very colorful and loud necklaces and some flamboyant clothing. I'm sure you can picture the type. And frankly, on her social media, Linda shared pictures of herself with her big family, and she promoted charities and attended philanthropic events. She seemed to have tons of friends and a super active social life. So when Cassandra first met Linda and the rest of her new boyfriend's family, she was excited because like these people seem like a lot of fun. However, it wouldn't take long for Cassandra to pick up on the fact that the sugary sweet exterior and sugary sweet veneer that Linda displayed outwardly was completely superficial. And as time passed, Cassandra got a glimpse into the real family dynamics that were at play behind the scenes. And the truth was, was that Linda was power obsessed. And Linda did everything she could to exert control over the members of her family and exert control over everyone in her life. She treats people like almost like a monopoly. And it was constant. It was very demanding, very threatening in a way. But then again, she put on this entire facade of a Christ-loving woman. But she also made it very known that if you were to mess with her family or her, that she was friends with the judges, the lawyers, the entire system. And made that very abundantly clear in the beginning. There was always that feeling, that feeling that she could destroy her life and smile in the process. And whoever she didn't like, whether it was even her son, 
I, I felt so much guilt and so sad for him because even if it was her son not agreeing to do what she wanted, she would threaten everything in his life until he obeyed what she wanted. And I've watched her destroy paths doing the same thing. So even though Tyler's family had this huge, fun house with a pet monkey, which is amazing, and all of this money, Tyler never seemed to want to be at home or around his family. When you have that much money, and it it looks from the outside like you have everything in the world, my family didn't have a lot of money at that point. He stayed with us. So, you know, that spoke volumes. He, He didn't want to be there. He had no control. He had no control of her. When, when we were together, she pulled all the strings. She had every string to everybody around her and she knew it. Cassandra eventually noticed some really weird energy between Tyler and his twin brother as well, especially whenever the subject of their biological father was brought up. You see, when Cassandra met Tyler, Linda was married to her second husband, Tyler's actual father, and Linda had separated when he was around the age of 12 years old. I never got any of the information of any of this. And anytime he brought up his dad, his twin Taylor was always there and always got, you know, way too aggressive for no reason and just kind of continue to tell him to shut up and to stop talking and to don't talk, you know, about things that you don't know about and always shut Tyler down to where he just kind of was dismissive and quiet. And that's why he ended up staying with us is because his family just wasn't It was constant, and he felt like he actually had a place that he could be himself. So, as we said, Cassandra and Tyler spent the majority of their time with Cassandra's family, and their young love really flourished. That was until something unexpected happened. Cassandra found out that at the young age of 17, she was going to become a mom. She was shocked and scared with this news, but she knew immediately she was having this baby. And Cassandra knew it was going to be hard, but she also knew it was going to be worth it. Of course, with both Tyler and Cassandra being so young, this was exciting and also terrifying all at the same time. But of course, after the baby was born, Cassandra was thrilled and totally in love with her new daughter. And while becoming a mom was an adjustment, Cassandra was really a natural. However, the post-baby bliss was relatively short-lived. Because before their daughter turned one year old, Tyler completely pulled the rug out from under Cassandra, and he disappeared. He actually left a year after she was born and just moved to Florida. Not a word. We were living together. He lived with me. He went back to his mom, and that is where this began of, I saw, an entirely, a bit of a different side of this woman. I didn't even know he left. He told me that he was going to go to his mom's for a few days. And, you know, think about things and stuff like that. I find out through a MySpace post that he's on his way to Florida. He drove a Honda with a stick, so he thought he was going to be a NASCAR driver in Florida. His mom told him he could do it. Cassandra would eventually come to learn that it was Tyler's mother, Linda, who encouraged him to abandon his new family and relocate to Florida, where he could pursue his dreams of becoming a NASCAR driver. So according to Linda... A baby didn't have to hold Tyler back from living his life and reaching his full potential. There were messages back and forth. She messaged him saying, you know, basically, just because you have a kid, it doesn't mean you have to lose your life over it. He moved to Florida because in his mom's mind, she wanted all of her sons to live in Florida. She wanted every one of her kids to move to Florida and she would pay for it and everything would be great. And even his twin said that he didn't agree with what he was doing. He always talked about him like he was just a piece of shit, which, you know, sucked. But at that point in time, I'm like, yeah, somebody agrees with me. He's a piece of shit. (laughs) So Tyler's decision to leave Cassandra and their daughter behind was heartbreaking and confusing. You can imagine. Now Cassandra was a single mom hovering around the age of 18. And right after the trauma of Tyler leaving, Cassandra held on to this hope that maybe, just maybe things would work out between them. Maybe Tyler would change his mind. Maybe he'd come back. And maybe they could be the family she dreamed of. So as a result, she maintained contact with Tyler's mother, Linda, and would get together with her periodically. Because on some level, Cassandra hoped that Linda would persuade Tyler 
to ultimately do the right thing and step up as the father that their daughter deserved. I was in so much pain and so upset that I almost, you know, I would talk to her. I would try to just kind of keep up the relationship because in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I talk to her, then maybe one day whenever, you know, he figures out whatever he's doing, then I'll be able to talk to him. Thankfully, regardless of Tyler's presence in her life, Cassandra had a really solid support system in her parents who could see that these meetings she was having with Linda were not healthy or productive at all. It took a lot of talking from my parents to make me realize that, you know, that feeling I'm having, because I would come back and repeat the things that she said, and I would have this bad feeling of it didn't sound like somebody caring. It sounded like somebody that was planning on, you know, just kind of stockpiling everything she could for a later date. It started to click for Cassandra that Linda was working to manipulate her. But to what end? She wasn't really sure. But Linda's intentions would eventually become clear. The last time I saw her, she wanted to have lunch. And when I did, she told me and made it abundantly clear that if if I decided to pursue this in any way or go after him or her family in any way, that she would assure that not only would I lose my daughter, but that she would make sure my family would pretty much lose everything that we had. And that wasn't all that Linda had to say at this lunch. In fact, Linda had plans, real plans. Linda planned to eventually move to Florida herself, where she had already sent her son, Tyler, to avoid his responsibility as a father. And Linda wanted all of her kids to be in Florida, right where she was going to be. And you know what? She wanted Cassandra and the baby to be there too. She wanted everyone connected to her in one place where she could exert control over them. She wanted me to move to Florida with him. If I agreed to do that or have, or she facilitated for my daughter to do that, then we would all be okay. If I agreed to send my daughter there, now keep in mind, this is no contact with her father for you know, years, but this was her pursuing that saying, this is what you're going to do. This is where you're going you know, to send her. This is a plan I've come up with in my mind. And, you know, I hope you think that sounds agreeable. Linda wanted Cassandra to comply with this plan she'd come up with. And she was armed with threats to compel her to do so. My brother had a lot of issues. So she, um, you know, told me that she would assure through friends that he would stay in jail. She, she wasn't somebody you wanted to mess with. She had a lot of money to fight with. And you can fight with somebody out of passion. You can't fight with somebody that is doing it just to own another asset in their life. Cassandra knew better than to say no to Linda's plan right then to her face. So she played nice. She said that she'd talked to her parents about it and pretended to be optimistic about this plan. Remember, Cassandra was already really afraid of this woman. I told her that, you know, I'll talk to my family about it. And I think that that sounds like a wonderful idea. Let me see what that, you know, how that would look. And, you know, I appreciated that she would come up with such a plan. And because she drove, she picked us up. And when she dropped us off at the house, that was the moment where I knew she wasn't going to stop. And from that point forward, Cassandra and her parents did everything they could to avoid Linda. Cassandra was one of the few people who saw Linda for what she actually was, a sociopath. And she didn't want her daughter to have anything to do with this woman, especially if Tyler the father of this child was not going to be involved. She was not going to engage with Linda no matter what. I did not want to uproot my daughter's life to just move to Florida on a whim. So that's when he started discussing it more with his mom. And that is when she instilled in his mind that just because you have a kid does not mean you have to be there. You know, she actually wrote him a message that said he told her he was on his way to Florida And she wrote him back saying, run, Forrest, run. I left for a reason. I took my daughter and I never allowed that to happen or her to get close to her because she wasn't a good person, no matter how many times other people said she was. Cassandra's mind was made up. And as soon as Linda caught wind that she was being cut off, she started retaliating. I got a letter from a lawyer 
stating that she was demanding that I, I, you know, return my daughter, that I allow her to see her, which wasn't a real letter. This was all created. And that's the craziest thing. She created all of this. There was no lawyer. There was nothing like that. It was just false threats. That is when I started getting the messages consistently. It would be loving. And the next month it would be threatening. And it went back and forth for years. Despite the threats and the harassment, Cassandra didn't buckle under Linda's pressure. She knew that on some level, Linda was dangerous, and she knew that Linda was vindictive. It was taunting. There was something wrong. It wasn't just a normal person, because obviously you'd never keep a child from their grandparents. That's not something that's in me unless there was a reason. It was just taunting, and it was never going to stop. And that's what she enjoyed in life. So while everybody around believed her and saw this facade and saw this, you know, wonderful human being. Truly, she was a nightmare of a human being, but only displayed it when she wanted to. Despite the incessant harassment, Cassandra didn't let it destroy her life. She didn't let it hinder her happiness. And she and her daughter thrived on their own. Cassandra let the anger towards her ex-boyfriend go. Frankly, she was perfectly equipped to raise her daughter on her own. And over time, she realized that him leaving was the best thing that could have ever happened to her. Cassandra's ex didn't get in any other serious relationship. He didn't become a NASCAR driver. His dreams didn't come true. But guess what? Cassandra's did. Every dream he had has slowly fallen apart. And I got everything I ever wanted. I never wanted anything else. You know, I have everything I love. And I'm out of that situation. That's all I ever wanted. He should be the person I hate most in the world, but I don't. I I feel so sorry for him. And by this point, Cassandra could empathize with her ex and realize that his mother had culpability in his character and who he was and the decisions he'd made. And regardless, thoughts of the past didn't hold Cassandra back. She moved on and she moved up and she fell in love again. She met a man who loved her daughter like she was his own. Cassandra and her new partner eventually got engaged. And while Cassandra moved on, Linda had not. And Linda made her presence known even as Cassandra's wedding approached. This woman came out of nowhere. This is years down the road. And she contacted everybody on my husband's side of the family to let them know basically a side part of the story to let them know that she was the victim in all of this and that she has been kept from everything she loves, which would be my daughter and I ever, you know, so much. And and they wanted them to know what kind of person I was. So those are those kind of narcissistic tendencies that it didn't apply. It didn't matter, but she felt the need to do it. Despite her best efforts, Linda had no success in infiltrating the lives of Cassandra or her daughter. Cassandra built this beautiful life, and her daughter continued to grow into a happy little girl and then into a happy preteen. There were still Linda flare-ups where she'd make herself known and, you know, come out of the word work every so often, but Cassandra, she'd just gotten used to it, and she didn't let this whole thing bring her down at all. And this brings us all the way back to 2019. And at this point, Cassandra's daughter was 12 years old. And you know, it's this kind of pesky age now, I guess, in this age of technology, where kids want to get on social media for the first time. And in fact, Cassandra recalls the day that her daughter signed up all on her own for her own Facebook account. I was packing my bags to go to my best friend's engagement and surprise her in Florida. And that was when my daughter, my husband told me my daughter opened a Facebook and he didn't see an issue. The, the first thing I said to my husband, I said, she can't have a Facebook. And he looks up, he goes, why? And I said, who is going to find her if she has a Facebook, Dustin? So, of course, one of Cassandra's biggest fears was that Linda would make independent contact with her daughter. It's what Linda promised to do. Linda promised to haunt Cassandra and her daughter for the rest of their lives. So when Cassandra's husband mentioned that their daughter created a Facebook, Cassandra had an immediate reaction and reminded him of the risks associated with that. And he said, oh, my God. Oh, okay. No, I'll handle it. Just let me take care of it. So, of course, Cassandra's husband gets on Google 
and he's looking up to see if Linda has a Facebook. And he's basically looking up to see what Linda has been up to. How big of a threat was she? I have to keep packing. He starts looking into it. He said, I was just wondering if, if she even still lives in Illinois. And I was like, I have, I have no idea. And as I'm throwing stuff in, he says, you know, what's the last LaRose, right? And I said, yeah, I spelled it for him. At this point, Cassandra's husband's eyes remained fixed on the results that he searched. And he paused. And he says, Linda LaRose arrested on charges of first degree murder. I said, no, no, Dustin. It's look up Linda LaRose, McHenry, Illinois. And he said, Linda LaRose, McHenry, Illinois, found guilty of first degree murder. And I said, do you, that, that can't, that's not it. Do you have a picture or something? Cause that's, that's not her. And he turns the phone around and I kind of dropped to my knees. Cassandra's husband wasn't mistaken. Linda LaRoche, the very same Linda LaRoche that had tormented Cassandra for all of these years, had in fact been arrested for first-degree murder. It's still a lot to process. I mean, it's um, it's still a lot. Uh, this woman's threatened everything for no reason. She's the most vindictive, evil, hateful person that put on the most wonderful facade and everybody around me believed it. There's no words to explain turning a phone around and seeing the person that the one person in life that could try to destroy everything you've built and made for no reason at all, just for fun and seeing that, that that's over. Cassandra was shocked, but at the same time she wasn't. She had always known on some level what Linda was capable of. I only had a few people that I've ever been able that ever knew everything. And just being able to tell them that they were right, that we were right, that I was right, and everybody else was wrong. When I had that feeling, everybody else was wrong. Linda, the woman who could have been her mother-in-law, had murdered someone. This development begged so many questions. Who had Linda killed? What happened? Why had she killed them? When? To answer all these questions and more, you know the drill. We got to go back. Okay, so we're going all the way back to late July of 1999. And we're not going to McHenry, Illinois, but instead to Racine, Wisconsin. And it's there where the body of a young woman was found at the edge of a cornfield by a father and daughter who were walking their dogs. So the police were called, and immediately, right away, they could tell they were dealing with a homicide. Investigators believe the woman they found had died the day before she was placed in this field. And as far as the position of this young woman, they noticed something off the bat. Her arm was bent unnaturally behind her. The victim was skinny, she seemed malnourished, and she also suffered from an untreated infection in her left elbow. It seemed as though that this woman had suffered both neglect and abuse on a long-term basis. The police were horrified. And this victim had also exhibited signs of possible chemical burns on 25% of her body, and also road rash, suggesting she may have been dragged at one point. This woman had also suffered a broken nose, broken ribs, and she had what was referred to as cauliflower ear, which was caused by being beaten in the ear or having her ear pulled on over and over again. It's something that boxers get from being hit in the ear constantly. So on the same ear that had been deformed, this is horrifying. And to top it all off, police also observed that it appeared this victim had suffered sexual assault as well. The injuries this young woman had sustained were horrifying. Wisconsin law enforcement jumped into action to work to identify the victim as well as identifying the perpetrator who took her life. But identifying this woman would prove to be extremely difficult. There were no women in any missing persons database that matched the description of this victim. 
Investigators estimated that she was likely between the ages of 18 and 35 years old. Her teeth were examined, revealing front incisors that protruded from her mouth, and her teeth had been completely neglected. There was decay, and several teeth were missing. She had curly hair that was reddish-brown, that was collar-length, and appeared to have blonde highlights. And as far as eye color, it was really difficult to discern, but it was listed as brown, green, or hazel. She had two earrings in each of her ears. She was found wearing a man's shirt that was gray with a floral design on the front. All of this information about this mysterious victim was circulated via the media, but no one came forward with any information that could help identify who she was. Right. And as time passed, this victim was given several nicknames, one of them being the Racine County Jane Doe. I mean, this was a a case that circulated widely. Another one was Crystal Ray. And although her real name was unknown, the people of Racine honored the life of this victim with a custom gravestone that read, quote, daughter, Jane Doe, along with the dates and discovery of her burial, with the phrase gone but not forgotten. Fifty people attended her funeral. These people didn't even know her, but they gave a shit about her. People wanted to identify her, and they this woman meant something to them. And with every passing year, local news covered the story and reminded the public of the importance of identifying this woman. The police came up with several theories about who she was and why they were having such difficulty in identifying her. One theory was that she was an international visitor, another that she was a runaway child and was estranged from her family. But the truth about the woman who had her life stolen in 1999 would prove to be much more sinister. Right. And to explain who this woman was and how she ended up in the cornfield, we need to go back across state lines, back to McHenry, Illinois, and back to 1994. At this time, Linda LaRoche, who you know about from our first degree Cassandra, had not yet started her own business. She was a nurse working at a free clinic. At the time, just to give you some context, Linda's twin boys, and remember, Cassandra dated one of the twin boys as an adult. They were 12 years old at this time. And at the time, their biological father was still in the picture. So one day while Linda was working at her job at the clinic, she had a chance encounter with an 18-year-old girl named Peggy Johnson Schroeder. The specifics regarding this meeting aren't totally clear, but upon meeting Peggy, Linda learned of the circumstances that she was facing. Peggy's mother had just died, and she had no other family. As a result, she'd become homeless and completely destitute. On top of everything else, Peggy struggled with a cognitive disability as well. When Linda met Peggy, she saw it as an opportunity and offered her a free room and board in exchange for housekeeping and nanny services. Her mom passed away and her, her dad passed away and she had she didn't have that support system that I do or you know, other people do. So she was basically free for all for a psychopath. I mean, and you know, they, you know, having a mentally impaired, you know, slightly, you know, that also, you know, takes into effect. This this woman was perfect for a psychopath. At the time of this offer was made to Peggy, I'm sure Peggy had an experience, some sense of relief. This woman, Linda, must have felt like a godsend, right? especially considering that Peggy had nowhere to go and no family to turn to. But Peggy had no idea who Linda truly was, nor could she have fathomed at this point Linda's true intentions. And as soon as Peggy arrived at the home of Linda LaRoche, the reality of her situation was revealed. Peggy would, in fact, care for the children. She would clean the house but she would also sleep in a crawl space and she would be abused incessantly by Linda. She would be treated as though she was less than human. And Linda could see the vulnerable position this 18-year-old was in and she would exploit that to her benefit for the next five years. And somehow, this abuse of Peggy became normalized within this household to such a degree that Linda freely and casually abused Peggy without hesitation and without abandon in front of her husband and children 
and no one interfered. Cassandra, you have to remember, is learning this decades later. This is a woman she was terrified of. This is a woman she chose to cut out of her life. This is a woman related to her child. She's learning all of this, and she's completely floored. This woman basically acted as not only a nanny, but also a housekeeper, but also somebody that she had full control over, but not as a child to where there was a sense of, you know, whatever you do, something's going to happen. Apparently, this woman had been not only beaten, but, I mean, she slept in a crawl space, which Tyler actually witnessed. I mean, he saw her sleep in this crawl space. He saw her mom being abusive to this woman. But the feeling of immense guilt for the woman that didn't have anybody. I couldn't imagine if I had nobody and I put myself in the same situation. So something we want to caveat here. If the children in this family witnessed what happened to Peggy, we want to highlight that they were children at the time and should not be blamed for their mother's misdeeds. Children listen to their parents. Children who have abusive parents are victims. You know, abusive controlling parents have a way with children and uh, have a way with normalizing even the most violent and dysfunctional behavior as normal, especially if they're occurring within their households, if they choose to do so. So it does appear that what Linda did was normalize this abuse of Peggy in front of her children. So I'm not trying to, you know, we're not trying to like call out her children in this case. This is not meant to reflect poorly upon anyone besides the adults that were present in this household. So this is what we know. We know that Peggy joined the household in 1994 and she remained with the family for almost five years. She suffered abuse at the hands of Linda LaRoche for that entire time. She worked for free and had nowhere to turn for help. And we know that one day in July of 1999, Linda took her insidious abuse of Peggy too far and murdered her. And it gets worse. When Peggy died, the entire family was home at the time. And Linda forced her ex-husband to take the kids to get ice cream while she, quote, dealt with Peggy. Linda loaded Peggy into her car drove across state lines before choosing a random cornfield to dispose of her in. After Linda left her there, she went back to living a normal life, like it never happened and like Peggy never existed. The people of Racine who found Peggy treated her with more kindness and death than she ever received under Linda's roof. So obviously this is a shocking case. And what I have to say is that during the conversation we had with Cassandra, Uh, she shared something interesting. And she recalled that her ex-boyfriend told her about one of the last times he ever saw his biological father. And to her recollection, it was this day. He recalls that his father abruptly took the kids to go get ice cream. He took the kids out for ice cream. I mean, that guy should be in jail. Let's just establish that. But yeah, and that was one of the last moments that he actually shared with his dad. But but there's a reason that he was the most hated kind of son. And it's because he blamed her for seeing this, for witnessing. He knew firsthand how absolutely evil she was and allowed her to continue it out of fear. All he told me is that the last thing he really remembered is that his dad came home, you know, took him out for ice cream. And then he never really got to talk to his dad and have him as like a dad again. But he always blamed his mom all the time. And it appeared that this day that Peggy's murder occurred was also the beginning of the end of Linda's marriage because the couple filed for divorce not long after. And as Cassandra explained, it was one of the last days the twins recall ever seeing their father. And you know what? Linda almost got away with this. As we shared, the authorities tried to identify Peggy for years. They were not going to give up. And you know what? It actually speaks volumes for the law enforcement involved in this effort. In 2015, Peggy's body was exhumed, so additional testing could be conducted. In 2016, 
law enforcement conducted additional testing. They did chemical isotope testing to try to zero in on where their Jane Doe could be from. And it eventually revealed that she spent several years of her life in Alaska, Montana, or portions of southern Canada. Law enforcement tried over and over using every method in the book to identify this victim. They gave a shit, and she mattered to them. But it wasn't the drive of law enforcement that ultimately solved this case. In fact, despite the tenacity of these dedicated law enforcement officers working this case, it wouldn't be their efforts that would do Linda in. In fact, it was Linda's own narcissism that would be her downfall. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. By 2019, authorities in Racine, Wisconsin had used every method at their disposal in an effort to identify a Jane Doe that had been found in a cornfield in July of 1999. They used every forensic technology that they could, and they still could not identify the young woman. So let's discuss what Linda LaRoche was doing in 2019. She was living in Florida, and as a reminder, Florida is where Linda wanted Cassandra and her daughter to move to also. 
Cassandra refused, and in the years since she'd last seen Linda, she built this beautiful, happy life with her husband and daughter, who was now 12 years old. Right. And while Linda was in Florida, she had sort of crafted this new life also, and she crafted an image. Her Facebook, if you looked it up, was peppered with one picture after the next, where Linda was portraying herself as this family-oriented woman. In fact, in September of 2019, Linda posted a graphic that said, that read, quote, do the right thing, even when no one is watching. It's called integrity. And another one of Linda's Facebooks read, above all, be honest and kind, treat people with love and forgiveness, don't tolerate or disrespect. And she also posted this photo of a log cabin style mansion writing my horse ranch in Northern Illinois heart. Yeah. I mean, she was bragging all over social media, but besides living in Florida at this time and besides visiting her Illinois horse farm and besides buying tacky necklaces, which she was, that's my observation after seeing her, um, her Facebook I'm going to let you all guess what else Linda was doing. She was drinking. She was drinking a lot. In fact, in the fall of 2019, Linda had been arrested for DUI, but this wasn't just any DUI. When Linda was arrested, her blood alcohol content was 0.330, which is four times the legal limit. This is an insane DUI. And when she was pulled over, she was driving a brand new C300 Mercedes. And as she was driving drunk, she hit a Toyota Camry. And when she collided with the Toyota Camry, she started walking away from the scene. So she was attempting to just leave the scene. But uh, eventually she was found lying on the ground nearby when the officers arrived. So she unsuccessfully fled the scene. And the driver of this Camry told responding officers that Linda's Mercedes had crossed over the median and thus causing the crash, which only left minor damage to both cars. The report also noted that Linda didn't respond to the officers with with true words. In fact, she only communicated with grunts and mumbles. Also, the police searched her purse and they found little tiny bottles of banana-flavored schnapps when they looked in there. Gross. The accident had also uh, occurred very close to Linda's home. She was almost home, and she ultimately, at the end of the night, told police that she didn't even remember driving at all that night. It's terrifying. It's really bad. (laughs) Totally. So we know that Linda was obviously doing a lot of drinking, as we just talked about, and an unfortunate side effect of drinking in some cases for some people can be oversharing. And she did. My she God. did. When your inhibitions are lower, sometimes people tell secrets. And this is exactly what Linda did. Linda had actually been bragging about a murder that she committed in McHenry, Illinois, more than 20 years ago when she lived there. That's the funny thing about it is that she told on herself. She would have never, never been caught But when she moved down to Florida, she became a drunk, you know, a rich woman that drank wine constantly. Cassandra theorizes, and might I say, I agree, that Linda was likely bringing up the murder she committed as a means to intimidate someone or instill fear into them. Like, you you can't really find a scenario otherwise about why she would bring it up. Linda was arrogant. And you know what? She thought she was in the clear because decades had passed. And you know what? It turns out she wasn't. Basically what happened is an anonymous tip came in from Cape Coral, Florida, to a police department saying that there was a woman named Linda LaRoge that I was talking to and told me she killed somebody in McHenry, Illinois, 20 years ago and never got caught. And so that was when the police started looking into it and connected the dots. She would have never been caught if she didn't open her mouth. But she was so proud of herself. You you know, thinking 20 years down the road, she had to say something eventually. 
So with this anonymous tip from Florida, Racine, Wisconsin law enforcement finally had a lead to follow with the hope of finally identifying their Jane Doe who had remained nameless for so many years. Investigators in various jurisdictions that were involved began communicating and making connections. And it was this tip that would eventually help Racine, Wisconsin investigators finally identify their victim Doe as Peggy Johnson Schroeder. And once Peggy was identified, it was very easy for law enforcement to put the rest of the puzzle pieces together. Because you know what? It seems like Linda's kids were like itching to tell the truth. They were interviewed, as was Linda's ex-husband. And they all admitted to what they'd seen under their roof between the years of 1994 and 1999. And we haven't seen the transcripts of Linda's children's testimony, but the reporting on the subject paraphrased what they discussed. Her children described that Peggy often had signs of injuries caused by Linda. They also recalled that Peggy had been forced to sleep in a crawl space under the home. They recalled how Linda would be verbally and emotionally abusive to Peggy, which often entailed Linda screaming at Peggy like an animal. One of Linda's children, and we don't know which one, ultimately testified that they recalled seeing their mother stabbing Peggy in the head with a pitchfork. And honestly, it's like, it's the most deplorable, disgusting, and horrifying stuff I've ever heard. The fact that Peggy experienced this, that she had nowhere to turn, it's heinous. And uh, what's even more heinous and disgusting is that Linda forced her children to bear witness to the sickening treatment of this innocent woman. So Linda's former husband spoke with authorities as well and testified about the day that Peggy died. And he could recall it pretty well. He recalled coming home from work that day to find Peggy dead on the floor. Linda was there and she told him that Peggy had overdosed and she was going to take her away. Linda's ex continued and said that Linda asked him to take the kids to go get ice cream, which he did. And then two and a half hours later, Linda returned without Peggy in tow. No one in the family ever saw Peggy again. Right. And uh, at this point, we're going to pivot back to Cassandra. Because what's crazy about this is that she was in a relationship with one of the children in this household. She learned about all this stuff when her daughter, 12 years later, was innocently trying to make a Facebook account. Cassandra was horrified to learn all of this because she always knew Linda was a terrible person, but she never thought that Linda was truly actually capable of this. The details of what happened to Peggy jarred her in a visceral, you know, deep way. And it was chilling to know that when Cassandra had met Linda, Linda had actually already murdered and dumped Peggy in a cornfield. Like this woman held Cassandra's daughter. It's terrifying. And uh, beyond that, Linda was harboring the secret, and she was harboring it casually. But no matter how much of a bad person I swore she was and how many bad feelings I had, I mean, this woman was rich and powerful. She had money. She had friends that had money. She had connections. Never once do you think to yourself, you think she's just an evil, horrible nightmare of a human being. You don't ever think to yourself, this woman could have killed somebody with her lack of empathy, and I am going head-to-head with her with something she wants. Linda was arrested on November 5th of 2019 and charged with first-degree intentional homicide and hiding a corpse. She was ultimately extradited from Florida to Wisconsin to stand trial for Peggy's murder. She was held in the Racine County Jail on $500,000 bond. She pleaded not guilty, which meant that there would be a trial. Right. And at some point following Linda's arrest, she offered her own version of events that transpired on the day Peggy died. At first, she claimed that when she arrived home on that day of July 1999, she saw Peggy standing on a counter of the home, pouring pills down the drain. Moments later, Peggy fainted. And at that point, Peggy's eyes were still fluttering as she laid on the ground. Linda didn't give Peggy any medical attention, despite the fact that she was a trained nurse. She was a trained medical professional. She did nothing to help revive Peggy. At that point, Linda said, 
and this is a direct quote, quote, she didn't know what to do and she thought about calling an ambulance, but she didn't. Linda then said that she could no longer handle Peggy and that she dropped her off at Peggy's grandmother's house. Basically, she's claiming that Peggy was still alive when she dropped her off somewhere that grim day. And there was a big problem with Linda's story. The autopsy of Peggy's body disputed the alleged overdose as toxicology tests also proved negative. Peggy's grandmother was also still alive, and she denied ever meeting Linda, let alone seeing Peggy on the day in question. And it turned out Peggy's family had tried to locate her over the years. And in fact, one of Peggy's aunts had also worked to find Peggy back in the 90s and even ran an ad in the paper looking for her. Peggy was loved and Linda had no right to take her life from her. But once Linda was in custody, she continued to change her story. In her next version of events, she claims to not know who she left Peggy with on the last day that she saw her. Then she changed it again, claiming that she drove Peggy to Wisconsin and let her out on the side of the road and just drove away, suggesting that whatever happened to Peggy to cause her death must have happened after Linda last saw her. Right. And, uh, you know, what we're dealing with here in the trial, in the case against Linda, is that it's a circumstantial case. It's largely circumstantial. But the DA used witness testimony to illustrate a pattern of violence that Linda had committed and perpetrated against Peggy. And the primary witnesses to these disgusting acts were Linda's own children. I actually think it's a weird full circle moment, especially talking to Cassandra. It's like it was shocking that these children actually testified against her mom because this mom wielded such control and power over them. But they ultimately did the right thing. They always knew, like, even though she was a bad person, these children always knew what they saw was wrong. And all of Linda's children cooperated with this investigation and cooperated in the case against her. And the prosecution in this case against Linda introduced copious evidence that demonstrated Linda's hatred for Peggy. And apparently Linda falsely believed that Peggy and her husband were embroiled in an affair. And her aggression and violence towards this teenager seemed to stem from that. And police also uncovered evidence in Linda's phone that revealed that she tried to craft some crazy narrative about Peggy over the years, a narrative that would absolve her of any sort of responsibility in the crime. There were texts between Linda and friends of hers claiming that Peggy wanted to come back and work for the family. In another text Linda sent, she said that she heard from Peggy's grandmother that Peggy was doing great and she was living in Nevada living happily on her own. This woman went to great lengths to cover up her crime. Um, and clearly it was all bullshit. This is a sociopath manipulating everyone to get the outcome she wants. And luckily, though, luckily, and this is the silver lining, the jury in this case saw Linda for exactly what she was and exactly what Cassandra knew her to be, which is evil. All the testimony at the trial begged some pretty glaring questions. Like how much did Linda's family really know? We know the kids witnessed the abuse, but did they know about the murder? We asked Cassandra what she thought. For peace of mind, as much as I know him, no, I don't think they knew that she killed her. I don't think they knew that she was actually dead. But every one of them testified against her that they witnessed the beatings. Now, the funny thing, all of them testified against their mom, but one of them, which none of the names are in any of the papers or anything like that, but one of them testified first and foremost to the police officers that he has witnessed his mom's vindictive and hateful behavior his entire life. Cassandra has specific memories of the things her ex-boyfriend shared about the day in question. I think he had memories of it that he shared with me. And I don't know if that's kind of compartmentalizing. You know, maybe he saw more than what he wants to remember. But I know that they did see her lying on the floor. 
because that was one of the things that it was said is they saw it and the mom screamed for the dad to go and take the kids out so that she could deal with this. So she's going to take care of it. Jurors deliberated for only 90 minutes, and on March 16th of 2022, a now 66-year-old Linda LaRoche was found guilty of first-degree intentional homicide of Peggy and hiding her corpse. I still haven't been able to watch her sentence, uh, her sentencing hearing all the way through because I end up crying, but I also am crying with like this huge smile on my face. It's like shock and and, and guilt because... You know, this woman lost her life, and, and it was absolutely horrible. But then again, there was nothing I could do to stop it because I wasn't a part of it at that point in time. I feel like I got far more validation than I ever needed in my life. I feel free. I'm happier for my daughter. I still find myself looking over my shoulder. That's going to take a while to get used to, I think. But I feel... I guess it is a it is a freeing sadness. At Linda's sentencing hearing, members of Peggy's family who wore Justice for Peggy t-shirts spoke out against Linda. Unfortunately, Linda decided to speak too, and through crocodile tears, refused to take any responsibility for her monstrous acts. We hope you have a slow, miserable time. In your cage. Family of Peggy Lynn Johnson are not holding back their words to Linda LaRoche. We hope you suffer in the ways Peggy's poor soul did. This is injustice. I'm sorry. I didn't do anything like that. LaRoche at times was interrupted by her attorney to get her comments back on track as she criticized the prosecution's case. I'm innocent. I'm going to fight this to the end. Linda was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She will spend the rest of her miserable life paying for the year she stole and also paying for the pain she inflicted on Peggy. She said she nearly had a heart attack in jail due to the circumstances. But on the inside, I think that she, I think she's manipulated the system. She will never think that she did anything wrong. She will make herself believe that when she's in there, it, you know, everybody's caring that you know, she has fooled the entire world and there must be a rally of people that are coming for me that think I'm innocent. She just has just such a false sense of an ego. And I think she sleeps perfectly fine at night, to be honest with you. When Cassandra looks back, she knows she made the right decision all those years ago when she was 17 and she cut ties with Linda. I knew I made the right decision before, but it was really hard to explain it to somebody because... You could look at both sides. With how well she played this game, if you would have just let her steal her side, at the end of it, you probably would have doubted me just because she was so good at it. I couldn't, you can't argue with her. You can't fight with her. You can't, you can't go up against this woman because you'll, you'll never win. And I learned that the hard way. Trust your feelings. I got my daughter out of there for a reason. Not because she displayed it to everybody. Not because she had to act like a horrible person to everybody in the room. But because there was a feeling that this woman would never stop, no matter who she hurt, just to get what she wanted or to destroy somebody's happiness and somebody's light, just to make her smile. And now... Even though Cassandra doesn't have to worry about Linda finding her daughter on Facebook, she knows that one day her daughter will probably learn about Linda. I mean, I, I look back all the time at the messages I have from this woman. I mean, I have her picture up there and her name, and I just keep reading through the messages thinking to myself that this woman tortured and killed somebody. I have to explain to my daughter that that's your grandma. I feel like one day I'll have to answer those questions, and this is going to be a bit of a talk. My 12-year-old is nosy and smart. She's like an adult. She wanted to get a serial killer book the other day because I listen to podcasts all the time. She came up to me a week ago and she goes, Mom, wouldn't it just, wouldn't it just be crazy if you, like, if we knew somebody that killed somebody? I mean, wouldn't that just be insane? And my husband and I looked at each other like, yeah, yeah. I, I have a feeling when it happens, there's a different emotion. But, yeah, that'd be so crazy. 
You truly never know who in your life could be harboring a secret as horrifying and as dark as the one Linda was. So like Cassandra said, you have to trust your instincts. Well, huge thank you to Cassandra for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Uh, join our Patreon. We're having brand new content every single week and stick around because tomorrow we'll have a brand new episode of killing time right in your feed. And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your closest friends close but not that close that's right shout out to jared monaco for scoring original music for the first degree shout out to caitlin cleveland for being the best producer we could ever have sources for this episode include court documents fought Six Now, Law and Crime, CBS 58, The Racine County Eye, The Journal Times, and as always, as always, a first degree guest is always our largest source. You can start your day off right when you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.